So this morning we're going to open God's Word to Philippians 3, 1 through 3. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision, who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. 7 through 11. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. This is uh, perfect timing. We uh, land right in the middle between the two, so we get to uh, enjoy both together. Um, As I noted up here uh, earlier, there's some of the straw left from our manger scene from Christmas Eve, Uh, a reminder of the fact that we had this wonderful gathering here at that time. But um, our baby Jesus seems to be gone also, uh, like the one that was in the news uh, from the nativity scene, except we're not worried about finding our baby Jesus because we know where he is. He is our risen Lord and Savior. The, the king of the universe, the ruler of all. So we don't have to worry about it. We, we already know where he is. Um, the Christmas season is a wonderful time of uh, gathering together. As we saw on Christmas Eve together here, families come together. It was wonderful to be in the midst of uh, the, those in-gatherings uh, when we were here from from those of us who have many, many years and many Christmases uh, behind us to those who are here experiencing their very first one. Uh, we were gathered together, and it was, uh, it was really joyous and fun to do that. Uh, hospitality is one of the gifts of God. He gives us that gift, and some people are wonderfully equipped and follow the Lord and serve him by virtue of giving that hospitality uh, to those those around them. Um, And uh, today I wanted to be sure to mention that a couple of people who have been doing that for a very long time with us in this body, Art and Darlene Imo, have been uh, leading our coffee ministry for many, many, many years. And they are retiring from that ministry. This is their last Sunday to serve us coffee. And so if you happen to see them along the way here, be sure to say thank you. If you don't see them today, thank them next week when you see them. But be sure to express the the appreciation that we've all had for that hospitality that they grant to us every Sunday. The world where we live is kind of a, a crazy and chaotic place. 
Uh, The world today often seems as if all of the turmoil and the upheaval is tossing up, that exists there, is tossing up this giant dust cloud around us. Uh, And that, that cloud fills our air with its choking chaos. And it tries to fill our lungs with the debris that shuts out life. Uh, and the, uh, the, the, the climate becomes overwhelming uh, with the, the sense of evil that surrounds much of, of what we see and hear in our world. Uh, this past year has uh, been one in which much has happened to discourage and to trouble people, even people of faith maybe particularly people of faith. Although the last so designated world war ended 70 years ago, it seems as if our world is at war. There is violence and strife and struggle all around us. Uh, Politics in our country and in others is discouraging, and too often the politicians and their political systems demonstrate that they are totally out of touch with the wishes and desires of their constituencies. In a recent poll conducted by a major news organization, 60%, almost 60% of Americans said that they thought 2015 was a far worse year than any before. And the primary things that were concerning them were violence, so mass shootings, other places of violence in our world, ISIS, and the political unrest and lack of clear leadership in our own country. These are things which trouble people of faith and people without faith. These are things which trouble us all globally and generally. Well, Paul was a writer of uh, letters that we look at and study, who wrote a very long time ago. This letter that we're talking about and looking at today was written to the city of Philippi, which was a Roman colony in Macedonia. And it was a cosmopolitan city. Many of the the inhabitants of Philippi were citizens of Rome. They had gained that status by virtue of their service to to the empire. This was a young church, a small church, disconnected in many ways from its culture, because its culture was that of the world, like many of the cultures of the world today. Diverse, filled with varying beliefs, both political and religious, filled with many cultural and societal practices, some of which were in conformity to God's will and many which were not. This was a young church that Paul had planted and had planted with some real success, he was happy with this church. As you look at what he has to say to them, he was pleased with where they were going. He knew that they were followers of Christ who were solid in their beliefs. And much of what he has to say is congratulatory and encouraging. And yet, there's more. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for our chance together here today. We thank you for your word, which brings us into the middle of, the the center of your will and your desire for us, your word which reveals who you are and how you would have us live. So, Lord, I would pray that our time together today would be time that is glorifying to you, that is pleasing to you, 
that our hearts would be open, our minds would be willing to listen, and that we would learn from you as we gather here today. So, Lord, open up our minds, open up our hearts. Let your spirit be present as we seek out your truth through your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So Paul starts this letter off with a very common, normal sort of thing. He says, finally. And what one would probably expect when, when he puts out that word finally is that he's heading to the end. The next things that would come logically, naturally, would probably be some, some greetings sent out to the readers of the letter. Uh, some well wishes, perhaps. Much like what we do uh, during, the, during the Christmas season when we see somebody that we haven't for a while and we send greetings back to their household and family and friends gathered and we say, extend my, my best wishes, my Merry Christmases to everybody present. We would expect something along those lines out of Paul at this point. That's not what he does. What he does instead is launch into some very intense and very powerful conversation about what it means to live as a citizen of this world while being, in fact, a citizen of the kingdom of God. What he launches into is a discussion of how followers of Christ are distinctive from followers of the world. And he begins by setting out the first point he makes, though, is, is I think, what he intends for us to rest in primarily. He says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. The place where we start is our joy. The place where we start is the fact that Christ is the one who brings us true joy in life. The place where we start is that Christ is our exceeding joy, as the psalmist said. Paul believes that joy is found solely in Christ and that also that Christ brings joy into our lives despite what's going on in them at this time. So that that joy we have is not just a joy that is situational. It is not just a joy that is predicated on things going smoothly or this being an easy day or this being a good year. It's, It's based upon the fact that Christ shows us what true joy is, that it is a joy that has a has a place in eternity. It is a joy that is authored by God the, the Father. And it is a joy that fills the hearts of those who follow him. So that's where he starts. Because he wants us to be there. He wants the Philippians to be there. He wants, wants us to begin this process of entering into the truth of living in our world from the point of view of resting in the joy that Christ gives us. And he goes on to say, to write the same things again is no trouble to me and is a safeguard for you. And I think there's actually some instruction for us present in that idea. And the the thing that I think he is getting at is that in the world where we live today, it is important for followers of Christ to be vocal, to be open, to be transparent about the source of our joy. If we feel joy in Christ, then we should say so. We should live like it's true. We should be people who present that idea as a counter-opposite to a world in which people are often overwhelmed and beaten down. The joy that we know in Christ is a joy that is found regardless of situation, regardless of health, regardless of finance, regardless of relationships, regardless of our situation, whatever that may be. That joy transcends all of that. And that's something very rare and unusual. 
And Paul is saying we should be people as followers of Christ who share that with the world around us, who are open about it, who live as if it is true. So that I think that little statement of his, it's okay to talk about this again and again, is reality because the reality is that we don't know when the person next to us is going to be struggling with something. We don't know sitting right here in this assembly of people who come to worship God that the person in the row behind us might be the person who needs to understand right today that even though my life has difficulty and challenges and hard times, even deeply disturbing times, that I still find joy in Christ in the midst of it all. That person may be the person who is themselves at that desperate end where they need to know that there is joy in Christ. And then then enter into their life. That's an entree into life with that person to begin to walk into how Christ can be the joy in their life with them. I think that Paul made this statement very specifically and intentionally. He goes from there, from his discussion of joy, to a series of warnings. This church that he is speaking to in Philippi was doing it well. This isn't the church at Corinth. We're not dealing with the same issues that he was dealing with there. This, this is a church that is following Christ, that is living up to his word, that is loving well and doing well. And yet, he enters into these very strong warnings, and his language becomes highly intense at this point. He goes, beware, beware, beware. Beware the dogs. Pretty like that one. These are not the dogs that we see walking through our neighborhood, unless, of course, they're loose and doing things on your lawn. But the, the, <laughs> these are different. Middle Eastern dogs then, and often today, are a different kind of part of the culture. They're wild. They were loose. They were scavengers. They were destructive. They were bearers of illness because they scavenged in garbage and, and ate dead, dead things. They were not be, they were not the thing you would walk up to and pet. They were, they were unclean to the Jewish, to the Jewish people. They were unclean to everybody because of the fact that they carried, carried disease and such with them. So these dogs are not pleasant. <clears throat> this is not a, a happy image. Beware the dogs. Beware those that ravage and roam. Beware those that cause distress and destruction. Beware the evil workers. Beware the false circumcision. Paul is saying there is much to be worried about, much to be concerned about in your world. Take caution, take care, be careful, be discriminating, be discerning, be engaged in a body of other believers like this world. Be with people who will help you understand what is, what is truth and what is not, what is a lie and what is deceptive. Be engaged with your Lord and study his, his word and know the truth of it. This is the warning that he is giving to us. This is a warning that was real in our world today. There is much out there that can attempt to deceive and, and, and mislead us. There's much out there that can desire to do damage and destruction. Be careful, followers of Christ. Be engaged with your Lord. Be engaged with his word. Let his spirit reveal truth and be a part of his body so that you have protection and strength and counsel together. So he goes on from there. So he said, so this is, this is where 
This is how you deal with this world in which the dust is swirling around you, where the clouds of, of chaos attempt to obscure reality and truth and disorient. You, you become people who, first of all, know your Lord well and know the joy that he brings to our lives. And second, that you are wary and cautious of what is going on around you. And then he says, to put no confidence in the flesh. So what does he mean by that? Well, first of all, Paul goes on to elucidate his own reasons for being confident in his flesh. And and I'm not going to talk about those today here, but the list is extensive and and his credentials are powerful. And he was a man who in the religious, in the Jewish religious world of his time was as well qualified as anybody possibly. So his flesh, his, his background, his training, his education, his experience, all of these things which could become sources for self, for pride, for self-confidence, for an ability to hold oneself as superior to others. All of these things are things which Paul says that you should have no confidence in them. Now, is it not true that God gave us gifts that God gave us skills and talents, that God has granted us experiences in life, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, as the psalmist says, by the hand of the Creator, by God himself. So you say, well, what, why, why is it not true then that all that I have, my intellect, my, my skills, my passions, my experiences, all of these things are things which God has given to me, so why should I not be proud of those? I think Paul's point here is really, there is a subtle difference, saying if you are gaining your own sense of self-worth out of those things, if you are saying these are the things which I hold up as, as sources for my pride, for my sense of, of value in this world, and I hold them out there to you as my gift to you, then these are fleshly. If at the same time you say these are things which God has given to me, these are the gifts that he has granted to me, this is the... this is what he has allowed me to possess so that I can serve him. And you place these things humbly before him and say, Lord, show me how to use what you have given to me. It's a different attitude. It's a different perspective, a different point of view on how you use these things. So that is the point where we're saying, where Paul is saying, despite all that I was given by God and by man, it's all useless. It's all flesh. It's all worthy of being placed in the rubbish heap. It's all worthy of being set aside for the sake of Christ. It's as if Paul is saying, you know, we get the opportunity to, uh, a couple of times a year, we get the opportunity to place large amounts of stuff out on the curb. Uh, If you're in the city of Boise, you get little stickers you can stick on things and you can put extra stuff out that uh, you're not, that that you want to get rid of. and it's kind of like Paul is saying to us to clean out every, every corner of your, of your personal inventory of things that you hold, hold on to and take pride in. To take all of that out there and put it out there on one of those extra, extra pickup days. Just give it up. Let it go become rubbish. Let it go become part of the trash heap. And let Christ fill you up with himself. And let that become what you truly live in what, where you live, the things which you hold as being important, the things which Christ has done 
for you, in you, and now does through you. This is what matters. So Paul's saying we have a different point of view, a different perspective at this point. In verse 7, he goes on to say, Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. So he's saying that all that I held on to as my personal gain is now loss until I turn all of this over to Christ and let him be the one who truly, truly makes it glorious and real. These things which are lost are things which we give up, which we voluntarily surrender, which we place aside. Christ calls upon us to be ones who do this willingly. So going on, from the point of view of perspective of what matters, Christ being the center of all, Christ being the one who gives us what we need to to have in order to serve him in this world, we move on to this point of how do we deal with that? If everything that I have striven for, if everything that I have done in my life has a, has a relative uselessness to it unless it was done for the glory of God, and I've done plenty in my life that was not done for the glory of God, okay? In fact, well, truth is I continue to do things which are not done for the glory of God. I continue to do things which are done out of the flesh. I continue to live as a sinful human being. So how do I deal with that With that reality of being somebody who fails so much and has failed so much over time in this calling to live for the glory of God. Am I not a useless person in that, in that, in that respect? And what, God, what, he, what he says to us here, in verse 13, he goes on to say, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do... F- Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Forgetting what lies behind. God allows us to be forgetful. Not that we forget in the sense that we haven't done harm or damage in relationships and need to do something about that. But that we can forget that I was a sinner, that I have failed that I have done miserably, and say, God, fill me up with your truth. Fill me up with your divine inspiration and leading. Call me into serving you and take me from here. So the things which we have done in the past and the life we have lived is not intended to be a disablement of our ability to serve God in the future. It may shape the direction. It may shape the course. It may shape how we function in that reality, but it does not end our, our call of service to God. It does not change the fact that we are in Christ, that we are redeemed beings. He has profoundly and totally changed us. He has made us new. That is a reality that is something that we need to embrace as followers of Christ. We need to realize that grace is here for us to set us free from the bondage that sin was holding over us. It is here to allow us to enter into full service to our Lord and and to enter into that with confidence, with a peace at heart, and with that joy that Paul talked about fully apparent on on our countenance, visible to the world around us. And this is where he's calling us to to reside, is in that forgetfulness, that divinely inspired forgetfulness that, that enables us to go forward and no longer be held captive by what sin has done in our lives in the past. 
from there he gets into a discussion about our allegiances. He says that we are, in verse 20, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. So he calls us to be people who realize where our allegiances lie. Uh, We are all citizens of earthly kingdoms. God has ordained and established these kingdoms. I'm not going to spend time talking about that concept today. But he has called us also to be citizens of something greater. He has called us to be citizens of a heavenly kingdom. We are all citizens of the kingdom of God, as we are followers of Christ. And as such, we have a different set of laws and rules under which we live. We follow God's rule, God's law. We live in the fullness of God's grace. It is a different world in which we live. This calling to be citizens of God's kingdom is a calling to enter into this full realization of who Christ is, that he is the true and only king. He is the one who rules this universe. He is the righteous and holy judge of all. Christ is the one who takes us from the place where we are dwelling and takes us into a, a, a new life of one in which we have purpose. And, we, and he has a plan for that purpose. And he has a desire for us to fulfill that purpose. He is the one who leads us there. So he is the one who shows us how to live in that new kingdom and in that new reality. And that is where we are now citizens, and we, and we are called by God to realize that truth. In addition to that, he is a ruler who follows through. He is loyal to his covenant to us. He is loyal to his promise. He is the one who's, who forgives our sin and changes our lives and makes us into whole people who can, in fact, live in the joy of his presence. This, this is the reality of what Christ does for us. And it is the reality of the truth of who he is in us. And by his work in us, we are set free to live in this manner. So Paul has called us to be people who live differently than the culture around us. He has called us to be people who engage with our world in a different manner than the world around us. He has called us to be people who, as that dust cloud is swirling around us, are those who can, in fact, see through it with clarity. We can see through it to the truth of God's word. We can see through it to the love that he has for humanity and for his creation and be ones who not only see that, but who do something about that. We can be people who engage with it in a way that brings the reality of, of God into the world around us and brings the glory of Christ to bear on the darkness of the world around us. We do not need to live in a place that is darkened by evil. We do not need to live in a place where we are overcome by the forces of this world. Instead, we can live in the joy of our relationship to the Lord 
and in the peace that he gives to us inside and become people who bring that joy and that peace into the world around us to bear on it and in order to bring that reality to bear on the lives of those around us. He calls us to be people who impact other lives for eternity. The way we live, not just for this moment, not just in, not just here on Sunday morning or as a, as a, an occasional part of who we are, but to be the, these, those people who are in fact dwellers in the kingdom of God. So when I live in my neighborhood, when I live in my home, when I go to work, when I speak with others, I am a person who lives in a, in a different kingdom, in the kingdom of God. And my, my engagement with my world should reflect that, it should be one that is, in fact, filled with the presence of Christ. This is different than the world around us. This is light in a darkness. This is joy when oppression and fear reign. This is peace when violence surrounds us. This, this is the Lord Jesus Christ brought real into a world where we live. So Paul said that, first of all, there are dogs out there. You need to be wary. They bite. They, they snarl. They steal from you. They rip things up. They do bad things. Be wary. There are dogs in the world. But the wariness is a wariness cautioned by grace and love and peace. It's a wariness that, that, that does not bring violence against violence. It's a wariness that brings love into the equation, that, that brings understanding and desires to know. It's a wariness that does not readily accept compromise. It's a wariness that does not readily accept the convenience of, uh, of changing the view of how God, what God is saying through his word. It is a wariness that stands firm on the foundational truths of God's word as revealed through his Holy Spirit and engages with that through the body of Christ together. Next, discernment begins within. As we discern God's truth, that is a discernment that does come from within. It starts with humility and the recognition of the fact that I have nothing of my own to offer to the kingdom of God other than my willing and sacrificial service. Christ is the one who makes us suitable for serving his kingdom. He's the one who does the work within us. We can offer it all up to him. And, then, and that is how we become discerning as we then enter into the reality of the truth of his word. There is discernment to be found. Then realize and enter into the freedom that Christ grants to all who know him by virtue of his complete and absolute sacrifice on the cross. We are all sinful in nature and sinners in the, to the core, yet Christ sets us free from the need to continue along that path. We are made free in Christ. We are, we are granted salvation through him. And that salvation is not just a moment in time. It is a life that continues on and on and on and grows as we begin to know him better. As we grow in our knowledge and understanding of our Lord, we become even more so these image bearers of our Savior. Finally, 
the place where we started this discussion, that word finally. Live as people who know the nature and the character of the land of true citizenship, of our land of true citizenship. In Christ, we are now inhabitants of a new land where righteousness, truth, and justice are the law of that land. We live in a different place. We live in a different reality. We live in a new and redeemed reality in the midst of a broken and fallen world. Christ calls us to be people who bring that new redeemed reality to bear on that broken and fallen world around us and to be people who become the agents that Christ works through to spread the truth of his gospel, the truth of his love, the reality of grace, and the fact that redemption is there for those who accept it, to those around us. We can and should stop living in acceptance of anything else. We... uh, we will be out of conformity with our culture and with those around us when we do this. We may find that we are also at odds with people we have counted as friends and with members of our families. I counsel care and caution when human relationships are on the line, but in light of what Paul has shared with us, I also say that there is no excuse or reason for compromise in God's truth for the sake of human acceptance. Yet in all of this, there is an overarching reality that Christ came to save the world through the relational demonstration of the Father's love for all of humanity. Christ calls upon his people to be righteous and true and to bring the same love to bear in all that we do and say. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of it. Thank you for all that it gives to us, that you have given to us. We pray for your grace to pour out upon us, for your truth to fill us, and that we would be people who would do be doers of that word, doers of your truth, Lord, and courageous ones who live fully in the kingdom that you have called us to dwell in. So Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day and for your, your grace and your word. We pray that we would be people who glorify you. In your name we pray. Amen.